If you would this morning, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And this morning we're looking at verses 15, 16, and 17 together. 1 John chapter 2. And it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm going to read a line here from something famous, and let's just see if you collectively can fill in the, the, the second part. I'm going to give you the first part. You give me the second part, okay? It's the title of the sermon today. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Good job. Let me count the ways. I wonder if you know this part. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need and by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for night. I love thee purely as thy turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with the love I seem to be loose with the lost saints. I love thee with the breath, with smiles and tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall love thee better after death. It's a good love poem. I didn't write it, if you didn't know. That's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She passed away in 1861. I'm not sure what year she actually wrote that. This morning, we're considering how is it that we love the Lord God himself? How do you love him? Do you love him and what does that look like? Let me count the ways. But let's look this morning at what our text has to say. Um, <clears throat> let me say this before we, before we look at, at uh, verse 15 here. But remember that John is writing to genuine believers. And he wants them to understand that there is a clear distinction between two groups. And if you're studying into John, you, this is called a, uh, John's dualism. He always creates this kind of dualism that is two different camps. And we've seen it already in light and dark, right? There's a, either this or that. And you're either the, a child of God or you're not a child of God. You either love the children of God or you don't love the children of God. And so we're going to continue to see this idea of a dualism built into John's writings that you're either this or you're that. It's kind of cut and dry. And this is the picture that John paints for us. So it's most obviously seen in the love for the children of God, and that's the one he keeps bringing up, right? If you are in the light, walking in the light of the Lord, then you will have love for God's children. He keeps bringing that point back up and back up because it's, it makes it evident, it makes it obvious. If you love God, you will be loving his children, and that's how it is. Okay, so two different things here. I, I'm going to summarize all of everything coming up to this point and uh, put it on screen for you. It says, it, this is my summary of John, okay? Listen, true believers, 
those who have both my love and the love of God. Listen, here is what you must understand. And that's what he's done for us from chapter one, verse one, all the way to chapter two, verse 14. Listen to what I have to say. Here's what you have to understand. In other words, it's been instruction, teaching. Here's what you need to know. Here's how it changes today. Here's how our text completely changes the feel of what we've been reading together so far because here we find the very first imperative given by John, that is, his very first command to us. Up until this point, we have had no commands. Now, when we read Paul, we're used to commands, right? We're used to those verbal imperatives. Do this, don't do that, make sure you're doing this. Don't. It, Paul is very much uh, giving us a lot of imperatives, but not so with John. John has been painting a picture for us so far. And now he's saying, in light of this picture, he's saying, here's how you need to understand it. Now, now that you get it, now that you see, here is what you must do. And we're ready for that this morning. And he has painted a beautiful picture for us so far, hasn't he? We get it. Let's look at verse 15. Do not love the world. The do not love, that's our imperative. Do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so he goes right back to more instruction, right? Right back to painting a clear picture of how we're to understand. So he gives the imperative, here's your command, do not love the world or the things in the world. And he goes right back to everything he's been doing. So, and so he's giving us these descriptions. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see that, that either this or that, he goes right back to it. This is how he's explaining it to us. This is the first of 10 imperatives that John will give us in this letter. So there's nine more to come. But this first one, do not love. It, it might better be translated, do not be loving, because it's in the present. Do not be loving the world or the things in the world. So isn't it interesting that the very first command that he gives us is not something positively to do, it's something negatively making sure that we're not doing. Why might he do this? We all need to know as we begin to look at this text this morning, it is going to be your natural inclination to love the world and the things of the world. That is where you're going to naturally, by default, fall. And so we need to be warned. Do not love the world. Do not love the things in the world. You know, it's very similar to this. Those of you with young children, you know, you do not have to teach a child to lie. You know that, don't you? You used to be a child. No one had to teach you how to lie. You came up with that on your own. And you got good at it. Why don't we have to teach children to lie? Why do we have to teach them to tell the truth? Interesting. Because of a natural disposition, that's why. Your natural disposition, your natural inclination is going to be to lie. Why is that? Due to our hardness of heart, due to the effects of the fall on our condition, right? So same is true here. Because you are going to be naturally disposed to love the world and the things of the world, we need to be warned against it. Left unchecked, you will love the world and the things in the world. Be careful that this is not you. What is the world and what are the things of the world? I want to know. Now, the word world, it has to mean something other than what I maybe think it means because for God so loved the world. 
that he gave. So God can love the world, but I can't love the world? Well, the word world must mean something different here than, right? And you're, you're right about that. The word world does mean something different here. What does it mean? Really two, two, two options here about, first of all, this word love. Um, Rob wants us to go here. So, okay, I'll hear you, Rob. We'll go, we'll go with that, okay? <clears throat> He's telling me to move on, I guess. The world. What, what is the world? The world, generally speaking, is that sphere of rebellion to God. This is what John intends for us to understand. When he says world, he is classifying it as all of that. People, attitudes, actions, thoughts, every, everything that exists inside the sphere of rebellion, whatever that is, that's the world. And the things in the world are the thoughts and the attitudes of that rebellion. So you have the thing itself, and then you have the individual parts that make it up. Does that make sense? Got a little image here. I like illustrating things. So if the circle is the world, then the things in the world are the parts that compose it. And then he's going to tell us what those parts are so we can fill that in. What are the parts? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you see it? So this is the world, and now specifically speaking, here, is the, here are the things in the world that he's warning us against. So what is he telling us? If you are loving the world and the things in the world, this is proof. This is proof that what? Two options. Either that God does not love you or that you do not love God. Do you see it in your text? Verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does that mean that God does not love me or does that mean that I do not love God? Which is it? Well, they are so intricately woven together that it is both. Both is true. Uh, John will tell us this. I'm going to reference here 1 John 4, verses 19 and 20. So this is coming up very soon in his letter. Listen to what he says. We love because he loved us first. The reason that we love is because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother... He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the ideas work together. If you have experienced the love of God, then you will have love for God. If you have not experienced the love of God, then you are not going to love God. And this is precisely what he's saying to us. The things you love, all of your affections, they should be concerned with the things of God, the things that he says are good, the things that he delights in, the truth, the light itself, should be what you love because God is all of those things. When we love the world and the things of the world, we are finding satisfaction in those things, having regard for it, taking pleasure in it. And if our affections are wrapped up in the world, We've not ex truly experienced the love of God. Is all this making sense to you? I'm saying this a number of ways from a number of angles, all the same thing. Because this is what John does for us, isn't it? Doesn't he say one thing and then say it again and then say it again, kind of just from different angles? So do not love the world 
or the things in the world. Make sure that your life is marked by the things of God and not the things of the world. And so next, he's going to tell us what those things are. He's going to tell us those thoughts and attitudes and how they're incompatible with love for God, a test of genuine faith. I thought of it this way. This is used, I, I think, a lot, but do you know what a litmus test is? You know, in its most basic sense, you have a, a liquid. I have a liquid. Do you know what this is? It appears to be water. You don't, you don't know what this is. I could be drinking a number of things here. <laughs> but it appears as though it's water, right? How do we know? How do we know what this substance is? Well, r- really, uh, a litmus test is to find out what a, a substance is and what, what is in it. And so you take a little strip of paper that has been properly treated and you dip it in there. And if it turns a particular color, it shows that particular elements are found within that substance and you can identify what it is. Does that make sense? What we have as the substance to be identified today is our life. What is our life? What is it composed of? What's in there? There could be a number of things here. And isn't that how we see one another? I'm looking at you, but what am I really looking at? Who are you truly? What's in there? I want to find out. I hope that you want to find out because this is John's point to us. A test of true and genuine faith looks like this. What is really going on inside there? If only we had a little strip of paper that I could touch on my tongue and then take off and it told me all the sins that were inside me. That would be great. I think, maybe, I don't know. That's scary. Burn the piece of paper after I look at it, yeah. I, but in a sense, here's what, here's what John's doing for us. He's giving us some tests, and so we need to take them and dip them into our life and see what comes out. So are we ready to do that together? Because the Word of God is going to cut into us this morning and saying, do you love the world and the things of the world? Let's see what those things are, and let's see if you love them. So we dip them in to find out. We hope that they come back. No, I don't love the world. Good. But if they do, and then they do again, and then I also love it this way, what are we to do with that? How do I become clean? How do I become purified? Isn't that the question of all of life? How do I become pure before a holy God? You know the answer to that, but what does that mean for the Christian? So let's look at our text. He goes to verse 16, and he says, For all that is in the world, that is, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we're going to look at these three things. The desires of the uh, flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're going to look at them individually and we're going to examine our own lives in light of these three things. Do I love the desires of the flesh? Do I love the desires of the eyes? Do I love the pride of life? Are these things that are part of me? If we're not ready by the power of God and by His grace to evaluate our lives this morning, then there's no sense in moving forward. 
we want to hear what the word of God has to say because we desire that as the holy God has saved us, we now want to be obedient to him. Not that he might save us more. You can't be saved more than you're saved. But we want to do it out of obedience because we have experienced the love of God and I only want to love him. Isn't that a hard thing, by the way, to try to figure out how to love somebody? Do you know what I'm saying? You ever try to love somebody and they did not feel loved by that? I really spent a lot of time and effort on doing that for you. And they're like, oh, well, that's great, thanks. Anyway, moving on. That, I did not feel loved by that. What they wanted was something entirely different. Now that would make me feel loved. We don't have to wonder about how to love our God. Isn't that such a grace of God? How do we love him? Let me count the ways. How are you loving God with your life? So let's look at them together. The desires of the flesh. What does that mean? The things in the world. The desires of the flesh. We're going to get some help from Paul this morning. Uh, So if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 16 through 21, through 24, excuse me. Okay, and it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, what's it say? The desires of the flesh. That's what we want to know about. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. Don't you feel that pull inside of you? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. So here he's about to give us um, a list, not an exhaustive list, meaning not every single thing, but he is giving us some case in point examples of what it is to live in the flesh. He's telling us what the desires of the flesh are. So let's look at them. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The word orgies is is properly translated. That's a little bit uh, outside of our vocabulary. But what this means essentially is a giant drinking party. Okay, that means carousing, you know. I, that, that's what the word means. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that seems kind of antithetical to the gospel of grace, doesn't it? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you do any of these things whatsoever, I got bad news for you. Let's just pick one. Uh, jealousy. Anybody in the room been jealous lately? Yeah, you have. Is that bad news for us because we did it and therefore we do not inherit the kingdom of God? What does this mean? 
What he's saying is that the desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. We stopped in verse 21. If you're walking by the Spirit, you will not be gratifying these desires of the flesh. So therefore, it is only those who have the Spirit of God that are able to break free from the bonds that hold us to the desires of the flesh. Do you see that with me? If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not able to break free from these bonds that hold you to the desires of the flesh. You will stay captive to them. Do you remember that John just encouraged us by saying, and you have overcome the evil one? He told us that. We looked at it last week. That you have a particular kind of victory that has set you free from the bonds that hold you captive to do his will. So where does it go next? Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who, here it is, you ready? You looking at it? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith have taken the passions and the desires of the flesh and they have crucified them. What happens to something that's crucified? Except for Jesus. It dies forever. It dies forever. Have you crucified the desires of the flesh and they no longer live in you? such as jealousy, fits of anger. We're dipping this into our life and to see what comes back out. Now, we are told not to love the things in the world. Do not love them. What does that mean? The word for love here is a verb form of the word you know, agape. Do not love. Don't have love for it. Do not be loving it. What does it mean to love? It means in this context to find absolute and sure fulfillment and satisfaction in that thing. You want to do it because you like it. You find satisfaction in it. Has this ever been true? That, for example, sexual immorality, which is a number of things, has that for any in this room, I wonder, been a temptation because you want to do it? Strife, jealousy, dissensions, env envy, drunkenness. I want to do it because it feels good to me. I love it. You realize that's what love means? You find a satisfaction in it. Your affections are for it. Even when you're not doing it, you're thinking about it because you actually like it. But those who belong to Christ Jesus should have crucified these things. Do not love them. Do not love the things of this world. Do not love them. Do not desire them. Don't let your affection be for them. We can't. We shouldn't. If we love God, we should be loving Him, and loving Him looks like hating those things. So then, 
Why do I find a struggle, a battle within me that actually loves those things? Why do I love those things? There's a battle inside of me. And yet, the battle is the whole point. The battle exists because there are two forces at work in you. For those who belong to the darkness, there is no battle. There are not two forces waging war against one another. There is only one side and it has won. It has conquered. It has victory. It only does the evil. It is in the dark. But that is not you. Now the light is pushing out the darkness. Isn't, isn't that how light works, actually? Left unto itself, there is darkness. But we need the light of God, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to come and shine and to get rid, to expel the darkness from our lives. Do you feel that at work in you today? Is the light pushing out the darkness or is there part of you that says, I like that darkness being there? I like it. I may go so far as to say I love it and I cannot be separated from it. I like getting angry. Don't take that from me. I'm angry about that. Don't take my anger from me. Don't take away the fact that I love getting drunk. Makes me feel better. There's so many examples here, but you get the idea. Those who belong to Christ have crucified these things and they should be dead. If I love my wife, am I loving the things of the world? Are you uncertain? I don't, it's not a trick question. Is that what this means? If I love my wife, I'm loving something from the world, so I better not. I better step back. Because I love God, I'm not going to love you. You better not hold the affections of my heart. But listen, Scripture tells me, husbands, love your wives. If I love God, I must be loving my wife. I must be. On her good days, on her bad days, on my good days, on my bad days. I must be loving my wife. If she holds my heart and my affections, I must be loving her. Listen, if God holds your affections, you must be loving him. On your good days, on your bad days, love him. How do we love him? By hating the desires and the passions of the flesh. Are you loving your God? Let me count the ways. Yes, I am loving you by hating the desires of my flesh. This is how I am loving you. Let's look at the next one. Obviously, there is some overlap here. The, the ideas go together. But looking at things from different parts and angles. So the next thing, he says, not only the desires of the flesh, but the desires of the eyes. Now, all the desires of the eyes, yes, are desires of the flesh. But he's looking at something in particular here, right? He wants us to focus our attention on a particular idea. And what is that idea? That those things that we look at, that we, that we focus on, 
stir up our affections. We see it and we must have it. What's a good place to go for this? How about Genesis chapter 3? Let's look at just a couple of verses. It says in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field and the Lord that the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree that's in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said to you, You shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. What's going on here? There was something that all of a sudden became attractive to the eyes because she was influenced. You ever been influenced to see something in a new light that you once thought was detestable and someone said, but what if you look at it in this light? Doesn't it look better? See, it's okay to do. See, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's great. Come do it with me. Do you love it? I didn't want it until I saw it. And I didn't want it until I saw it in the light of what you're telling me. Now I do want it. Because it stirred up an affection. But here's the thing, that when you look at something, you have to first evaluate it. Right? You look at me, you evaluate me. Right? What's he doing wearing those skinny jeans? I don't think that's appropriate. What, what's going on there? But you get the idea, right? You look at something and you evaluate it. Is that good or is that not good? I look at something and I evaluate it. See, there's a, a decision process happening in our minds whenever we look at something. You look at your food and you decide whether it's desirable or not to eat, don't you? Listen to what Job said, Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Because he knew. What did he know? If I look at her, I'm going to want her. So therefore, what am I going to do? I'm not going to look at her. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why? Because the eyes feed the affections. Are we careful about what we look at? It amazes me that there is in our culture such an embrace of pornography, a looking at with the eyes so as to stir up affections. Do you know what's going on there? there you look at things with a craving to be satisfied. Isn't that what's happening in all these cases? You look at something with a craving to be satisfied and you take it and you want it. Do you see how the desires of the eyes work? You look at it and you want it. 
Now, this could also come, in, come into uh, coveting, right? You look at something someone else has and you want it. Now, we must not be loving the desires of the eyes. How does your life come back out? Are you desiring? Are you loving? Do you have affection for what your eyes see? The last one here kind of gives us a well-rounded picture of what John's telling us, and that is the pride of life. The pride of life. These are the things in the world that we should not be loving. What is the pride of life? We've looked at the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. Now, what is the pride of life that we should not be loving? Specifically, the word life here is a little tricky. It's bios. That's where we get like the word biology. And uh, so it is talking about life, but you have to understand it in context. What does it mean in context? John will use this in chapter 3 in, in a particular context, which is also true here, which is a pride in possessions. That's why some of your Bibles may say that. A pride in possessions, a pride in what you own, a pride in what you have, a pride of life. Let's look for just a moment at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at verses 6 through 12. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with, we, with these, we will be content. But those who, listen to the words, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare that is a trap made for animals, in many, into many senseless and harmful desires. See how it breeds desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Not every evil, but all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, hurts. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. And so let's focus our attention there. So what is at the heart of your drive for life? Where are your affections the issue here is how we can sustain ourselves, that we can have power, that we are in control, and that we are better than other people. You want to have everything you can have to say, I have everything I need. And therefore, who do you not need? I don't need God. I don't need a God. I have taken care of myself. And in fact, I'm going to raise myself up to such a status that I have more than you, I have more power than you, I am dependent on no one. I am the God of my own life. Ultimately, a desire to be rich only leads you down this path. Why do you want money? What is that money going to do for you? A pride in possessions, a love for life, what is it going to do? Tell me, gain everything. Are you better off spiritually for that? 
What does that hold for you? Does that keep you from being sick? Does that keep you from having problems? Oh, it's been said, right? More money, more problems. That's true in its own way. Why do we want money? But what does Paul tell Timothy, who was young? Listen to what he says. But as for you, flee these things. Run away. Run away from it. Is that what you do in the pride of possessions, the pride of life? You run away from that idea. You don't embrace it a little bit. I love it. I love my stuff. Love my stuff. You know, I didn't have much stuff when I was growing up, but you know what I had that I loved? My Ninja Turtles toys. <laughs> Anybody my age had the Ninja Turtle toys. If you didn't, I'm sorry. You, man, you were missing out. The Ninja Turtle toys. But you know, you know what I didn't have? I had, the, I had the Raphael, okay? If you don't know who that is, I'm, I, again, I feel sorry for you, but I had the Raphael, and he uses size, okay? It's a weapon. But you know what? I lost mine so it was not complete. You can't play with it right, you know? Went over to my cousin's house. Guess what he had? He had the size. So I took him. Better believe it. That's what I thought. Why? I was probably seven years old, eight. You all know I can't tell how old I was. I was anywhere between four and 14. I don't know. I was young. I did not know the love of God. I know that. I loved myself. I loved my stuff. And it gave me satisfaction. And I'm going to get it no matter what it costs me. And I don't care if it hurts you. Pride and possessions. I love them love my stuff. Now, for Job, his pride in possessions was tested, was it not? Everything he had was taken away from him. But think about what Paul says to us, godliness with contentment. Now, there is great gain. Contentment in what? Contentment in what the Lord has provided for you. Not for other people, but for you. The Lord has given this to you, and with that comes a contentment of life. Other people may have it, but you don't. Okay. Are you content in your situation? does not mean that you don't use prudence and you don't achieve success. Not what that means. But if you try and try for success, and this is the goal of your life to get money, wealth, power, status, you have a pride in your possessions and in your life that you should not love and hold on to because it means that you're not loving God properly. You have displaced the love of God for love of your own life, which we should have crucified. Now the life I live, I live unto God, right? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you realize what you lose when you die? Everything. All my stuff is gone when I die, but yet I am told that there is only gain for me when I die. And that is why there is great contentment 
and the life that God has given us. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Look at 1 John 2, verse 17, our last verse for this morning. He adds with some final instruction to us, painting one final picture of this idea. He says, the world is passing away currently, now, in this moment. It is in the process of passing away. Along with what, what also is passing away? All of those desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here it is again, this idea of that dualism, uh, either this or that. There are things that are passing away, gone, but there are things that remain. Where, is, where, where, where are my heart's affections? Where is my drive for life? Why do I get up every morning? Is it, is it for this stuff that passes away? Or is it for the stuff that is eternal? This is a test of your heart. Do you find yourself being completely exhausted by life? I know many of you do because I know you. Maybe, just maybe, a thought for consideration. If your life is so busy that you're exhausted, what energy do you have to love your God? Maybe your life needs to be not so exhausting. Maybe you need to cut some things out and simplify. Maybe you're the reason you're so distracted. Maybe it's love for the things in the world that have set you on a path of being exhausted trying to accumulate those things and satisfy those desires. But just maybe, if the goal of our life was to love the Lord our God in everything we do, everything I put my hand to is gonna be for the Lord. And if I find that something is detracting from that, distracting me, pulling me away from the love of my God, I can't do that anymore. You know, one of the difficult things for me when I was a young believer was there was something that was distracting me from the love of God. And, and for me, it may not be this way with everyone, but understand it was this for me, was music. My music was not God-honoring. And it was, in a sense, what my eyes were looking at, even though it was my ears hearing it. You get what that means, right? My mind's eye saw my music, and it was filling my heart with different desires that were not for the things of God. So there was something I had to cut out of my life like that. I had to get rid of it. And then I had to pursue the Lord my God with everything I had. Now, I, I just wonder, is there something in your life that needs to be cut out because it is such a distraction from the love of God? And if you're doing it for the love of God, is not God's blessing behind what we're doing? You think that in working and working and working and working, got to work more, got to work more, got to have money, got to have money. So much to the extent that there is nothing left for my church family, for my family at home, for devotion to God, because everything I have is absorbed in making money. 
Now, I know that's true for many of you because it's true of the American culture. I wonder, where are we spending our time and our energy and what are our affections wrapped up in and does it display the love you have for God? Do you love the Lord your God? Is your life on display of that reality? Or if someone were to look at your life, you'd say, clearly you love to work. Clearly. There's no doubt in my mind. You love to work. You love to be busy. You must love being exhausted. I wonder if our life needs to look... Now, to be exhausted... Listen, I'm, I'm exhausted today. I did a lot of work yesterday. But are you spiritually, emotionally, mentally drained to the extent that you have nothing left to give? We have a big problem with that. This world is passing away with all of these desires. Let them go. Let them die. That's what they're destined for anyway. So why hang on to them today? Let them go. Focus on the life we have in Christ with great contentment in the life that God has given us because we do not know, after all, how many more breaths we have to take. Live it fully in the love of God. And so we consider each day and we say, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. The way she ends that poem, by the way, she was a believer so far as she said. She was a Christian. She's talking to her spouse. But at the end, she says, I hope that when I die, I actually get to love you more by the grace of God. Is that the trajectory of our life that when I die, I hope that my love for God my love for him is only growing with each day. And when I die, I only hope that I love him more, which actually he has promised us. There is only more to gain. And so we focus all our affections and our sight and our desires on him. All right, let's pray together.